When life is hard, what do you tend to focus on? If somebody were to ask you, are you an optimist or a pessimist? What would you say? Are you somebody who sees the glass as half full or half empty? I read a story this week about um, two friends, Billy and John, and Billy was having a really tough time. And he came to his friend John and said, John, I can't believe it, I just lost my job. And John was this eternal optimist. And so he says, Billy, it could be worse. A few days later, Billy comes to John and says, John, my wife left me. And John looks at Billy and says, you know what, buddy? Cheer up, could be worse. A few days later, Billy comes to John yet again, and now, because he doesn't have any income, he's been kicked out of his apartment, and he tells John, and John just looks at him and goes, you know what? It could be worse. And finally, Billy comes to John and says, you know what? I can't pay my bills, and, and I've got this creditor, and he says that if I don't pay up, I'm going to jail. And John, being the optimist, says, you know, it could be worse, and Billy just blows up. He says, every time I tell you about something terrible that happens in my life, the only thing you tell me is, it could be worse. What could be worse than this? And John says, all the stuff that's happened to you, Billy, could have happened to me. <laughs> when life is hard, what do you tend to focus on? <clears throat> I read um, this week about some fascinating research that was done by a professor at Northwestern University and it involves Olympic athletes and what they focus on. And I thought this was pretty interesting. The research showed that athletes who won a bronze medal are happier than athletes who won a silver medal. Now, why is that the case? Well, because silver medalists tend to focus on how close they came to winning a gold medal, and so they're not satisfied with their silver medal. But on the other hand, the bronze medal winners tended to focus <coughs> on how close they came to not winning a medal at all. So they were just glad to be there during the medal ceremony. This points out an intriguing facet of human nature, that what you choose to focus on determines your reality. What you and I choose to focus on determines our reality. You see, how we feel is not necessarily determined by objective circumstances. If that were true, then silver medal winners would be happier than bronze medal winners, but that's not the case. Because so often how we feel is determined not by objective circumstances, but by our subjective focus. For example, we probably all know people who can find something good to focus on in the worst of circumstances. Do you know anybody like that? How about this? Do you know somebody who um, can find something bad to focus on in the best of circumstances? Somebody said one time there are two general categories of people in the world. There are complainers and there are worshipers. Complainers can find something to complain about, no matter what. Worshippers can find something to praise God for, no matter what. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been going through the series called The Heart of Worship, and we've seen that worship involves turning our attention away from ourselves, away from our circumstances, so that we can focus on God. And there's a great verse, it's Psalm 46.10, where God says, Be still, stop what you're doing, and know that I'm God. And that verse is saying, look, stop focusing on, on yourself. Stop focusing on your circumstances. Be still and know that I am God. Now, why is that so important? Because life is hard. If you were here um, at the beginning of the service, I talked about Alexander and his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. When you're having that kind of day, don't be surprised because Jesus said, in this world you will have what? You're going to have trouble, count on it, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, but I have overcome the world. Take 
courage, take heart, believer, for I have overcome the world. And when we come together to worship God like we just did, we're reminded that God's in charge of his world and God's in charge of your life and my life. And that gives us hope. Now this morning, I want you to see how important this is for us, not just as individuals. Um, having hope as we come to worship God, knowing that he's in charge. This is important for our community. It's important for our nation. I read an article this week about the State of the Union things that are happening in our nation. And it was very sobering. Um, a lot of statistics, and they're not positive. These were things that are wrong in America. And I want to share some of these with you. But before I read this list, I want to I say this. My intention is not to discourage you. All right? I want to tie this in to why worship is so important. So are you ready? Okay, here's some stats about what's happening in America. Americans are now more likely to die from an opioid overdose than they are from a car accident. Overdosing on drugs has now become the leading cause of death for Americans under the age of 50. Here's another. The teen birth rate in the U.S. is higher than any other industrialized country in the world. America now has the highest divorce rate in the world. It's estimated that 89% of all pornography in the world is produced in the U.S. 40% of all births in the U.S. now happen outside of marriage. Think about that. Four out of ten births happen outside of marriage. Now, in 1970, it was less than 10%. Approximately one out of every three children in the U.S. lives without a dad in their home. Approximately one-fourth of the entire global prison population is in the U.S. The suicide rate in our country is up 34% since the year 2000, and suicide is now the second leading cause of death for Americans 15 to 24. On 9-11, approximately 3,000 Americans died. Every day in America, over 3,000 babies are aborted. And here's two stats that have to deal with the church. Only about 27% of all U.S. millennials currently attend church on a regular basis, and every week, more than 100 churches in America close their doors. They meet for the last time. Right now, this morning, over 100 churches in America will meet for the very last time. Now, why do I bring this up for this reason? Because how you react to these facts depends on your focus. There are some in the Christian community who look at these facts and they go, uh-oh, it's over. The culture is lost. There's nothing we can do to turn this around. The best thing we can do is just you know, hang on and, and hope that Jesus comes back soon. Let me tell you something. I hope that Jesus comes back soon, but the reason he left us here is to do something. He doesn't call us to retreat. He calls us to advance. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And when Jesus goes back home to heaven, he calls his disciples together, and he gives them these marching orders, go into all the world and make disciples. And by the way, I will be with you. And listen, Jesus has never rescinded those marching orders. And if you look at history, you look at that first century church, they faced enormous cultural pressures, but they never caved. Instead, the church grew, the church flourished, flourished the church expanded. Why is that? Because these believers took God seriously. And they prayerfully pursued his purpose for their lives and for the mission that Jesus had given them. I've been reading a book. It's called When God Comes to Church. Interesting title. 
when God comes to church, it's written by a pastor, his name is Steve Gaines, and he says this, we need God back in our schools and government, but more than that, we need God back in our churches. When he comes, he will bring genuine revival and spiritual awakening, which is our nation's greatest need. So why is it so important to learn how to worship God? Here's the answer, because worship is a path to revival. Worship is the path to revival, not just as a nation, but as individuals. And let me say this, revival will never begin here. Revival must begin here. See, revival doesn't start in the White House. Revival starts in God's house, as God's people learn how to truly worship him with all of their heart. And so this morning, I want you to consider this statement on your outline. In worship, we give our hearts to God, and the intern shares his heart with us. And here's the question for this morning. Okay, if that's true, what kind of heart do we need to worship fully so that we can experience God's presence and power in our lives? Now, let me ask you this. Where is God right now? Yeah, he's, he, he came to church today. Let me just make that clear. Okay, he's here. Is God everywhere? He is. He's omnipresent. I mean, think about this. God never has to get up and go anywhere because he's already there. Now, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but here's the thing. In the Bible, there are times when God makes his presence unmistakably clear. And there's an example of that. This is in the book of 2 Chronicles, and this is describing a worship time in Israel. It says, when they lifted up their voice accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, sounds like our Sunday morning worship service, doesn't it? And when they praise the Lord, saying, He indeed is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. What happened? Well, then the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with the cloud, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For, listen to this, the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. What we need on Sunday morning is more than some songs and a sermon. We need God's presence and God's power. We need to see the glory of God. I saw a cartoon one time where this lady is in church and she leans over and she's whispering to her friend and they're opening the program, you know, the bulletin. And she says to her friend, I sure hope God does something that's not in the bulletin today. Is it possible to go to church and just go through the motions? Yeah, I know that. I've done that. Been there. Got the t-shirt. Is that what God wants? Absolutely not. God wants us to pour out our hearts to him because as we do as we truly worship God that puts us on the path to revival and there's one specific verse that I want to look at this morning it's actually in the Old Testament 2nd Chronicles 7 14 some people know this verse really well because it talks about something that God promises to his people Israel and here's the verse it says this if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now let me give you some context because whenever you look at Bible verses, you need to know the context. God is speaking to Solomon in the Old Testament. Solomon is going through this dedication of the temple. And God knows that his people are prone to wander. In fact, when you read the Bible, this is what happens again and again. God's people wander away. They go, oh God, we're really, really sorry. And God says, okay, God returns. And this is just a cycle that takes place. And so God is making a promise here that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways when they drift from me, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. Now, even though this verse 
is written to Israel. Israel has a covenant relationship with God. It has implications for us today. It has some very powerful principles because look at it. If my people, who are God's people today? God's people today are believers in every nation of the world. And so this verse really has something to teach us today about the path to revival because that path goes right through our heart. And here's what I want us to see. If we want to experience the presence and the power of God, here's the first thing that we need. We need a humble heart that prays. A humble heart that prays. Because this is what verse 1 says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. There was a lady who was going to a Bible study in her church and um, she was talking to her friend and she said, you know, we've been doing this great study on humility and, and I've been working on it for three weeks and you know what? I have finally become the humble woman that God wants me to be. And her friend said, man, you must be so proud of that. She goes, I am. <laughs> Bible says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why is that? Because the humble get on their knees and ask for God's grace. Because the humble know they need God's grace, but the proud person doesn't. And church, you've heard me say this before. The degree to which you pray is the degree to which you are depending on God. Because it's possible to get up and start your day and go through the day and not even think about God. But you know what we're saying to God? You know what, God? I got this, okay? If something big comes up, I'll let you know. I'll pray. God is saying, if you want to come to me with your heart, it needs to be a humble heart that realizes that you need me every moment of every day. That's where revival starts. With a humble person who hits their knees in prayer. And here's the second thing I want you to see. In order to experience the presence and power of God, we need a hungry heart that seeks God. A humble heart that prays and a hungry heart that seeks God. Because here's how the verse continues. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And when a little baby is born, little baby boy, little baby girl, there are all kinds of things that a baby needs, right? They need food and clothing and shelter and uh, 401k. Um, they, they need all these things. But here's something that's critically important. They need another human face. They need another human being that they can connect with. Now here's a, a picture of a Little baby staring into the face of its mother. And, and here's what happens. When, when the baby looks up and sees another human face, the baby goes, hey, there's somebody there. Somebody's watching me. Somebody is going to react to what I do. Now, in the, in the world of psychology, this is called attunement. And it's a really important concept. It's the idea that the little kids can connect with another human being. They can be in tune with their mom, their dad, their brother, their sister. But the reason this is true is because we are made in the image of God. God made us to be connected to each other and connected to him. And when you look at this idea of seeking God's face, this was huge in the nation of Israel. I mean, the greatest blessing in the world was to be in a position where God would, would shine his face on his people. And that was actually the blessing. And you may have heard it before. It's from Numbers chapter 6. The blessing that, that Moses gave to the priest. And God came up with these words. He said, hey, when my people are together, bless them with these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Because there is a peace that comes when you're living your life before the face of God. 
But the question is, what does it take to seek God's face? Well, the answer, a heart that's hungry for God. A heart that is really hungry for God. Consider this. If I invite you to come over to my house for dinner, and let's say that you haven't eaten all day long, you are starving. And my wife, Chris, is getting ready to put dinner on the table. And it smells great because my wife is a great cook. Now, when the, when the food hits the table, do you think I'm going to have to plead with you to please get up off the couch? It's time to eat. I mean, really, we, no. What are you going to do? You're probably going to run to the table because you're really, really hungry. Church, God is looking for people who are hungry for him. People who want to spend time with him. People who are serious about serving him. People who want to give their, their lives to him to accomplish his mission in this world. Jesus said this. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now think about that. Blessed, what does that mean? Um, truly joyful, truly content are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's a right relationship with God. And what's the promise? They will be, what? You're going to get filled. You're going to be satisfied by finding what you're looking for. I saw a videotape uh, just a few days ago of a man who's an icon in the world of rock music. His name is Mick Jagger. How many of you are familiar with that name? Okay, this is kind of a transgenerational thing. I can see that. Um, lead singer for the Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger, 75 years old. Pretty amazing, huh? He had um, heart surgery to replace a valve, and this video, man, he was just dancing, getting ready for the next performance, and I thought to myself, now here's Mick. 75 years on planet Earth. 75 years he is looking for something, but he hasn't found it yet because his signature song still to this very day is I Can't Get No What. So you guys know this. Because this isn't just Mick Jagger's deal. This is a statement about the human race. Because inside our heart is this gaping hole. There is this God-shaped vacuum. There is this God-shaped hunger that only he can satisfy. And that's what the Bible teaches us so clearly. The question is, how hungry are you for God today? What's your spiritual appetite like? Now, I mean, if you, if you go a, a whole day and you don't pray, you don't, you know, read your Bible, you don't engage in any spiritual things at all, do you notice? Does it really make a difference? I have a friend, and he told me this one time. He said, hey, Dudley, he says, you know, if I don't connect with God for one day, nobody knows. He said, if I go two days and I don't connect with God, I don't pray, he, my wife knows. If I go three days, my dog knows. If I go four more days, everybody knows. And the point is this. One of the marks of spiritual maturity is realizing how much we need God. Church, we're not as strong as we think we are so many times. And God says, come to me. Have a humble heart that prays. Have a hungry heart that seeks my face. And one of the things that we should pray for is that God would deepen our desire for him. And that brings us to this third characteristic of a heart that will experience the power in the presence of God. A holy heart that turns back to God. A holy heart that turns back to God. And again, this verse says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And God makes a promise that I'm going to hear, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to heal. But this is crucial. 
It says we have to turn from our wicked ways. Now, there's a, a word in the Bible that describes this. It's the word repentance. And it simply means to make a U-turn. I mean, you're walking away from God, and then you turn around and you walk toward God. And in the Bible, the word repent actually means to change your mind. It means to change what you think. And this is critical. If you're going to become a follower of Jesus Christ, do you have to change what you think? Well, yeah, because you have to believe the gospel. In fact, when Jesus went around the countryside preaching, he had a very short sermon. You know what a sermon was? He said it again and again. Repent and believe the good news. Of course, he would explain that, but that was the thing. Repent. You've got to change how you're thinking and believe the good news that there's a God who loves you. That's why I'm here. I'm the king. I've come to establish a kingdom. And the reason I came was to rescue you. Do you believe, and, and you can imagine, you know, as Jesus is, is preaching, people are processing this. Well, wait a minute. Jesus, you say you came to seek and to save the lost? We didn't know we were lost. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're a bunch of sheep, and you're lost, and you've wandered away from God, and, and your sin has separated you from a God who is holy, and God is just, and he has to punish your sins. But I love you, and that's why I came looking for you. And see, people had to believe that before they would turn to God, before they would repent. And isn't that true of us? We have to believe the bad news, and then we have to believe the good news, that Jesus is that good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, who died on the cross to pay for our sins, and he says, hey, job's not over. I came back to life. I want you to follow me. I want you to carry out my mission in this world. But what does it take? It takes repentance. It takes believing that what God says is true every single day of our lives. And this was the message of the disciples, by the way. You know, Jesus goes back home to heaven, and he says, carry on my mission. And so there's a story about Peter. Peter heals this crippled guy, draws a huge crowd. Hey, good time for a sermon. And so what does Peter do? He explains the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And people go, well, what do we do? And Peter says, repent. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, church, this is really important. You don't just repent one time. Yeah, I repented back in 1979. Haven't repented since. Repentance is a way of life. I heard Steve Brown. He was a former pastor at Kibis Cane for 28 years. And he was one of my teachers when I was in school um, training to be a pastor. And he said this to a small group of guys. And we're all, you know, training to be pastors. He says, um, the most repentant person in the entire church should be the pastor. And I thought, what's up with that? The longer I've been a pastor, the more I understand what he was saying. That I have to have this posture of saying, God, would you correct my thinking? God, would you change my mind and change my heart? Whenever what I'm thinking isn't what you want me to think or isn't true, would you please let me know that so that I can repent and turn towards you? See, that's the way that we're called to live as Christians. And here's why that's so important. What you believe determines how you behave in this world. Without a doubt. And think about the, the challenges in our nation that is so divided. I mean, if you believe, I mean, really believe what God says about the sanctity of life, it will affect how you behave when it comes to that issue. And that's true of us as individuals, it's true of us as churches, and true of us as a nation. If you believe that God gives us the definition of marriage, well, that's going to determine how you behave when it comes to the issue of marriage. If you believe that what God says about how to handle money is the way you should handle money, that's going to change how you handle money. And see, that's true for us as individuals, as a church, and as a nation. But here's what I want you to see, and this is so very important. 
And let me just say this. If, if you're here this morning and you're you know, somebody who's kind of checking out Christianity, maybe you were invited by a friend, I'm so glad you're here because I hope you really understand uh, what it means to follow Jesus, but also the connection between those who are Christians and those who have not yet trusted Jesus. Because here's the deal. If you're a Christian, let me ask you this. How should you respond to those who don't believe what you believe? Do you have people like that in your life? I do. I have family members like that in my life who don't believe what I believe. I have neighbors who don't believe what I believe. How do we respond to people like that? And here's the answer. It's one word, and we talked about it for 40 days. That's right, church. We love people. What did Jesus say? Love your neighbor. And he took it a bit further. He said, love your enemies. Listen. In all the years that I've been following Jesus, I have never argued one person into the family of God. Ever. But by God's grace, I have loved some people into the family of God. And I believe this, church. This is, this is so important. Um, I long to see revival come. I long to, to see God pour out his power and his presence and his peace in, in deeper and deeper ways. And I want that for me. I want my desire and my hunger for God to grow stronger and stronger until finally I'm no longer here. And I'm up in the presence of Jesus. I want that for myself. And listen, I really, really want that for my family. I want revival to come to my family. And listen, that's what I want for you. I want revival in your life and in your family. I want revival in our church. I want to see things happen that can only be explained by the power of God. And I'll tell you this. Um, when it comes to being a pastor, I get a front row seat to see God at work in so many of your lives. And I am so thankful for that. You know, I see God restoring marriages that were falling apart. And I see God break addictions that seemed hopeless. And I've seen God heal people who doctors said could not be healed. I've seen the power of God. And, and I long to see it in fuller ways. You know, I would love to see a revival hit Palm Beach County. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, to think about it, to have hundreds and even thousands of people who become followers of Jesus Christ. But how will that happen? Where does revival start? In your heart, in my heart. It starts in the house of God. And so if we want to see God pour out his power and pour out his presence, then we have to have hearts that honor him. And we've just talked about it. We need to have a humble heart that prays. We need to have a hungry heart that seeks God's face. And we need to have a holy heart that turns back to God again and again because we are fully committed to Jesus. Let's pray. God, would you please give us that kind of heart this morning? Lord, I thank you for the grace that we find again and again. I thank you, God, that, that you tell us what is true so that we can can change our mind, change our hearts so we can repent and turn to you. God, I pray that you would deepen our hunger for you as individuals, as families, as a church. I pray, God, to see revival come. And Lord, even today, as we celebrate what Jesus has done, revive us now, God. Please, help us to connect with the incredible story that we are now a part of. Help us to see that this mission of Jesus Christ is what shapes our 
our hearts, our lives, and our stories. Help us to celebrate your goodness and grace today, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen.